Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Welcome to the world of normal in a complete world of insanity. Okay, um, this one's going to be the fifth part on the coronavirus. And right now we're going to answer a few questions. Uh, For one, life depends, your quality of life depends on the questions you ask. Now, you might be wondering, since this is the only thing you hear on the news, you're not hearing about uh, autism, uh, forced adult vaccines, the economy, um, world trade, anything, you're only hearing about the coronavirus. Why hasn't it been declared a pandemic yet? And uh, so there is a reason behind this. So I got this off of zerohedge.com. And here's the title of the article, Is Wall Street Behind the Delay in Declaring the COVID-19 Outbreak a Pandemic? Um, And the, the subtitle is Pandemic Bonds, a Scheme Like No Other. Now, now think of this. In uh, 2009, H1N1 uh, was thought to be a pandemic. Now, this is when there was no, not multiple cases. There was no sign that it was going to become multiple cases, and it wasn't appearing in multiple countries. They just declared it as a pandemic. Now, <clears throat> this is all over the news, and it still isn't a pandemic. It may be tomorrow or the next day, but not as, I'm, as of I'm talking to you. So here, let me, let me read this. In June 2017, the World Bank announced the creation of specialized bonds that were used to fund the previously created Pandemic Emergency Financing Facility in the event of an officially recognized pandemic. <clears throat> they were essentially sold under the premise that those who invested in the bonds would lose their money if any of six deadly pandemics hit, including coronavirus. Yet, if a pandemic did not occur before July 15, 2020, the investors would receive what they had originally paid for the bonds um, back in addition to interest and premium payments on those bonds that they received between the date of purchase and the bond's maturation date. Um, Now, notably, the World Health Organization determines if a pandemic meets the criteria that would see the investor's money be funneled into that pandemic emergency financing facility as opposed to their own pockets, which would take place if no pandemic was declared between now and then. So there's a reason for the pandemic being delayed. Okay, it's all financial. Now, um, next week we're going to go into the politics um, and and a lot of different um, things that are going on. Okay, and it literally is the world is radically changing, and you're going to see the politics is changing, finances are going to change, and the world governments are going to utilize this false um, uh, it's this false uh, infection. And I mean, the coronavirus is real. People really are getting sick, but not in mass numbers to justify this massive panic. So today we're going to answer how is the virus identified, because a lot of viruses can cause similar symptoms. How resistant is the virus, like what kills or weakens the virus? How contagious is the virus, like how many people does it infect? What can kill the virus? 
Okay, and what you can do to strengthen your immune system and also how to disinfect your you, your person, your home, your friends. You got to disinfect your friends. No, I know. I was just kidding. Okay, <laughs> you need to prepare your home for, you know, if, if you're panicked about viruses, I'm going to show you how to just keep your home clean without creating super bugs. Uh, now, I, I totally recommend you looking at the doctorwithin.com site. And this is Dr. Tim O'Shea, his good friend, um, written several books. He's an absolute genius when it comes to vaccine and vaccinology. His site is thedoctorwithin.com. And there's no hyphens or anything else, just thedoctorwithin.com. And look up the March newsletters. Look up his newsletters. But I got to read this. Okay, and this, this kind of describes his personality. Coronavirus, why and how it will soon vanish overnight. Remember, you've read this here in early March. For those addicted to the everyday Kool-Aid, of corporate tabloid media at CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, and Yahoo, you're in for a big surprise. Last month's newsletter dealt with historical context of our newest boutique epidemic, boutique epidemic. This month, we'll cover why this phantasm is being kept alive in the absence of scientific evidence and why it's about to vanish. You don't have to be much of a fortune teller to see the usual signs fall into place. The fading of the illness, despite desperate attempts by the tabloid media to keep it alive. The lack of legitimate testing proving patients actually all have the same disease. And the recent funding, which always signals the end of any boutique epidemic of $8 billion. Okay, now that, that was just a little snippet of his newsletter. I totally recommend you go get it. Um, it was just, it's, uh, I like his personality and the way he reads, but he always throws in facts and references so that you can check his work. Now, I'm still holding with the Lancet article at the end of January, and they talk about how cases will, can, will increase until about April, and then they're going to start to drop. And this is for a number of different reasons, the fragility of the virus, also the population being exposed. And once a population is exposed, they, they recover. So first, let's look at the very first question, like how is the virus identified? Um, that's hugely important because when we look at this, um, and this I got uh, off of the guy that developed the test. Now, this test is called the PCR, or Polymer Chain Reaction Test. It was invented in the 80s by Dr. Kerry Mullis. Now, in 40 years, doctors have never come up with a test that's more accurate than this ridiculously flawed theoretical estimate of microbial activity. Now, <clears throat> the test produces loads of false positives and often failing to measure anything at all. Now, Dr. Kerry Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for inventing the PCR test to detect HIV, explains its limitations and why the PCR is not especially good for diagnostics. Quote, quantitative PCR is an oxymoron. PCR is intended to identify substances uh, qualitatively, 
but by its very nature is unsuited for estimating the numbers. Although there is a common misimpression uh, that the viral load test actually count the number of viruses in the blood, these tests cannot detect free infectious viruses at all. They can only detect proteins that are believed, in some cases wrongly, to be unique to HIV. These tests can detect genetic sequences of viruses, but not viruses themselves. Now, what's interesting is uh, Dr. Kerry Mullis, uh, his testimony was, was used um, in the O.J. Simpson trial. And in the O.J. Simpson trial, he said, look, the PCR test is totally inaccurate, so, you know, uh, acquit the guy, even though there was, you know, blood testing and a bunch of other stuff. So, so now, why are corona tests inaccurate? And you can get this off of medicine.net. The tests produce false negatives due to laboratory error, insufficient amounts of viral material collected, and the patient. Test may result in false negative if the patient is tested too early in the course of an infection. Also, improperly sampling may result in false negatives and faulty reagents, as the CDC admitted that the test kits they distributed result in inconsistent results. Inconsistent results. Well, no kidding. Hey, let's look at this. Like if I sneeze, because the coronavirus is supposed to infect about um, 2.4 to 2.6 people. Let's say it infects three people. And what that means is that the person gets the primary infection, gives it, it, the virus has to replicate utilizing his RNA, like this virus, <clears throat> in order to produce more of the virus, but it's still attached to utilizing his RNA. So their viruses generally are considered not alive, just well-organized molecular parasites. So it would have to grow in patient one's RNA and in his body, then he would have to sneeze or transfer this infected material over to another person. That other knew that person two is going to have to um, use his own RNA for the virus to replicate because it doesn't replicate on its own. So this is further adding in foreign RNA to this viral protein. And then if they pass it on to the next person, the next person has to use their RNA in order to replicate the virus. Okay, so it's further changing the protein structures because you're utilizing the host RNA. And then patient two has to sneeze on patient three in order to get utilize their RNA in order to produce this new form. This is why it infects around 2.3 to 2.4 people. Because after that third person, uh, the virus isn't really infectious and it can't it go on. So now let's say that all, all three of these people get sick or four. Okay, the primary person who got the original infection from somebody who hopefully got the original infection and the primary person wasn't the second or third. Okay, so let's just assume that they got the original infection from, you know, watching a bat make love to a snake. Okay, so, or they were, you know, creating some genetically modified version inside of a lab designed to take over the world. Um, yeah, I know. I'm thinking Austin Powers, too. So, so let's just say that you take the viral sample, which is a swab or sputum out of patient one, patient two, patient three, you're looking at different protein structures because it's utilizing that host RNA. So you can see that already it's gonna have some kind of challenges. 
But remember, the doctors have to bullshit their way into this that, that they're, they're actually based in science. So then we look at an article um, published in Intech Open. Now, this was regulatory concerns of polymer, uh, polymer H chain reaction carryover contamination. Now, this was published by Dr. Wan Hu uh, in December 2016. And they go on to also state that this test uh, is extremely sensitive, and but the contamination is so easy to contaminate it. And the FDA, our FDA, says false positives uh, literally fail in their mission. They result in a failed mission. Uh, when we look at further, this goes, uh, PCR is not a test that isolates identifies or even detects a particular virus. Let me say that again. The test that they're using to identify if these people have this virus is the PCR test, the polymer chain reaction test. And the PCR test is not a test, quote, that isolates, identifies, or even detects a virus. If you're sick and have some viral fragments, the PCR test just amplifies those sequence millions of times from the sample. For more scientifically minded, here's a source of review on literature, and they, they go in to talk about uh, other articles that you can read. And the other one is the regulatory concern of the PCR. Our little research shows that us that with any association with viral disease from the PCR is just theory at best, just an estimate. Nothing like an exact science that definitely says Ebola or HIV virus or coronavirus is present in this patient. So it's not going to actually work. <clears throat> so now let's answer the question, how resistant is the coronavirus? Well, it's a pretty fragile virus. Um, it dies at higher temperatures, like 80 degrees, and I know your body is, is 98.6. Uh, however, it tends to grow in the base of the lungs, and it's a fairly large virus, so you don't need any of the fancy you know, N95 masks, um, just a basic mask. The, the cheap ones work, and if you don't have that, you can use a scarf, but when you're looking at masks, um, I had a patient say, hey, how's this mask look? And I said, well, it looks very attractive. But what is the, why are you putting on a mask? Okay, you only got three reasons. One is because it looks damn good, okay? The other is because you don't want to catch an infection. The other reason is that you don't want to give it away. Okay, and that's the only reason to actually put a mask on because you would have one of the benefits of having a mask on is it stops you from shaking hands with an infected person, uh, rubbing a rail that has somebody sneezed on, and then you touching your nose, your mouth, or your eyes to where that virus can get access to your mucous membranes where it can grow. It's the only advantage of a non-sick person wearing it. Otherwise, a person sneezing at you, that sneeze has to fly all the way over to you and get in your eyes or your mucous membranes or your nose or mouth. So that's a really weird, rare thing to have. A sneeze travels about 10 feet. And now this can live on the surface, a metal surface, for about 12 hours as long as it's not exposed to sunlight. Sunlight kills this baby quick. Now, the virus can only live on your hands for about 5 to 10 minutes. That's right. 
So even if you don't wash, that virus can only live for about five to 10 minutes. Now, um, what can you do? Okay, number one, expose yourself to the sun. So direct sunlight exposure kills the virus, but it also increases vitamin D production and helps with your immune system. Drinking hot water, such as tea or infusions, fantastically good because that heats up the esophagus and can heat up the lungs. In fact, drinking hot water is effective for heating up the lung area. And then look at other things like doing a sauna, um, elevating your body temperature at night. Now, normal laundry detergent kills the virus, and so, but winter clothes, you can't really wash your jacket every day. So just place it in the sun and that'll knock it out. And then wash your hands thoroughly, not with, and with non-antibacterial soap, because the triclosan that they put in the antibiotic soap actually damages your skin and creates um, a competitive environment. So use the non-active bacterial soap like Dr. Bonner's. But look at vitamin C. Vitamin C can directly kill the virus, but it also prevents viral replication. <clears throat> now, the, the virus is not ridiculously infective. Okay, it is infectious, just about as much as the common cold. Each person that's primarily infected will infect between one to three people. Now, if you look at measles, which is really infective, each one person can affect 12 to 15. So that means that that virus can replicate utilizing the host RNA or DNA, okay, depending on the virus. And in the case of uh, measles, it can infect around 12 people where this virus can only infect about three people. And then <clears throat> when, what, so how do these people, um, how many people get sick when they get infected? Well, 80% of the time, according to the CDC, people have little to no symptoms and they don't require any, any medication or hot soups or bed rest. 15% require hospital or bed rest or, or some type of intervention, such as a way to raise the fever or something along those lines. So that means about 96 to 99% of everybody that gets this will be fine. Okay, and I know, I know. So you're thinking, well, where's the big panic? In fact, um, one of the most brilliant French microbiologists, we differ in our opinion on vaccines, but Dita Raoult, um, a French microbiologist, says the current death toll is around 2% or less. But then again, how are they going in to check it? We know the tests are completely inaccurate. So how are they testing for it? It's pretty much based on symptoms. Now, knowing that this is wintertime in the northern hemisphere, a common cold has similar symptoms. And then when we look at the Italian governor from last week, this was before the shutdown of the country, uh, he goes in to say, look, 80% of all people sick heal themselves, 15% need some type of medical intervention, 5% need hospital attention. So 95% of the people will get over fine with you know, little to no um, interventions. 
And the only people that die have secondary complications. So right now, the way that you can protect yourself, if you're taking prescription medications, find out why your doctor is prescribing it, and then find another doctor that can fix the problem without trying to drug the symptoms, because that's what medications do. They typically suppress the symptoms with a chemical, weakening your body. So what are the symptoms? Like, let's say you catch something. chew, okay? Cough, cough. First, if you have a cold with a runny nose and you're coughing up phlegm, that's not the coronavirus, okay? The coronavirus has a dry cough and it doesn't increase mucus production in the nose. So first, it infects the throat. And that's is so this, if you have a dry, scratchy throat that lasts three to four days. Now, ideally, you're taking vitamin C and vitamin D3, which kills the virus anyway, um, before you get that sore throat. But let's say that you're not taking vitamin C and vitamin D3 and you get a dry, scratchy throat. Then bitchin', get onto the high dose vitamin C and you'll knock it out. You're not going to have an issue. But let's say you don't do that, or let's say you're taking steroids to suppress your immune system response. Well, then it'll start to get in to your throat. It's going to get into the trachea and into the lungs, and this takes five to six days. So now you've been sick for about a week and a half to two weeks, and the, the virus has gone into your lungs. And so what still can you do? High-dose vitamin C knocks it out, and that's full-blown Wuhan's pneumonia. And think of this, we're in the middle of cold and flu season, if you actually believe that. Okay, there is no flu season or cold season. The viruses are here no matter what. Um, it's just right now, with the low um, sunlight, there's going to be, it's like vitamin D deficiency season. And that's the real cause of the weakening of the immune system. And I, I, I love this one article, medicine.net. Um, Professor, Professor Hunter calls for consistency in case definitions. Insufficient test kits, inaccurate test kits, changing definition of what constitutes a confirmed case of COVID-19, overdiagnosis, misdiagnosis of illness makes it difficult to determine the real number of those affected. I'm in total agreement, Doc. It's, it's crazy. Just know that if you're using that Purell type stuff, I don't recommend it. Why? Because the CDC says, no problem. You can rinse your hands for 15 to 30 seconds for optimal hygiene. However, in test, at 15 to 30 seconds, the virus is still alive. In fact, rubbing your hands for two minutes, they found the virus, flu virus well and alive. So you have to rub your hands for four minutes utilizing that hand sanitizer. Now, the hand sanitizer has bisphenol A, BPA, and this will cause hormone disorders, cancer, heart disease, infertility, diabetes, and that's just by putting it on your skin. So it's, it's insane. Now, we know that there's actual patients that have had full-blown Wuhan pneumonia that recover. They recover. Vitamin C is the best therapy that you can get. <clears throat> Now, if you look at orthomolecular.org, they talk about how to protect your body is vitamin C, 
They recommend 3,000 milligrams a day. Vitamin D3, 2,000 international units of that. Magnesium, 400 milligrams of that. Zinc, 20 milligrams daily. Selenium, 100 micrograms daily. And that will strengthen your immune system. Now, how do you prepare your home? Not just disinfect, but prepare your home is ideal. Well, number one, open the windows. Okay, get fresh air in. And the fresh air will also allow um, stale air or toxic air inside because your home has glue on the carpet. It has fire retardants in the furniture. Uh, it's really toxic. So open the doors, get fresh air in. In the wintertime, it's hard to do that. So use like an essential oil diffuser. You could also burn sage, which has antimicrobial properties. You can use an ozone air purifier, which is out of this world. You can use non-antibacterial cleaners like vinegar and water works fantastic. Dr. Bonner soaps, fantastic. Just know that if you're trying to disinfect your home, like a hospital, using bleach and water or some kind of toxic chemicals, um, know that you're fighting an ignorant battle. You have viruses, funguses, and bacteria on your home, in your clothes, in your mouth, in your gut, on your skin, everywhere. You have a symbiotic relationship with this bacteria. And if you take an adversarial effect, like in American hospitals, and this is one of the cleanest places on the planet, uh, at least, according to 2013, 99,000 people a year die from hospital-acquired infections. That means you cannot keep it disinfected. Why? Because that um, your body only gets infected from a weakened immune system, not from a pathogen. And that, that we've known for forever, but the medical system still hasn't caught up for that. So how do you strengthen your immune system? Look at exercise daily. Sleep is vital. Organic plant-based seasonal diet. You've got to change your emotional status, so turn off the news and start doing neurolinguistic programming daily. Chiropractic adjustments at least weekly to strengthen your immune system and leave your immune system clear of interference. Play, pray, and have essential oils, man. you got to get this working right. And, I mean, literally, look back in history. Um, there was evidence that, that I mean, I, I'm looking at the old talks that I did back in 2009. Uh, H1N1, they said that it was a bioengineered in the laboratory, uh, that vaccines that were produced for it were hazardous and potentially lethal. It turns out that the vaccines for the H1N1 were devastating and were lethal. Now, the biggest danger that you have okay, is not that just supplies are running out. I just watched this one report um, from this older gentleman in a market in Italy where they had a run on the shelves. And he goes into the market and there's no pasta on the shelves in Italy. And he says, look, he was in World War II. When they, had, when they were going into World War II, they didn't have this type of panic. So either people are more easily manipulated now uh, or um, people are more easily manipulated now. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to an article because remember the SARS outbreak, and this was, you know, again, one of the panics utilizing a, a Corona type virus. 
And this was back 2002, 2003 is when the SARS infection were. But they started immediately to develop a vaccine. And they, they had huge problems with this vaccine because all the animals that they injected developed an antibody response, which is just what you're supposed to develop. However, when they got re-exposed, they died from hemorrhagic um, problems, like, you know, literally drowning in their own blood. So we know that the SARS vaccine or a vaccine for coronavirus is dangerous. We know that um, in China, they're saying secondary infections cause huge problems, okay, with, with hemorrhage. Now, that could be because they're giving medications like steroids, which weaken the immune system, antibiotics, which weaken the immune system, aspirin, which lowers the fever but weakens the immune system and causes hemorrhagic um, bleeding of the lungs, so the biggest danger, okay, is to the medical interventions. Uh, and we can look at, um, at how, what, what, what these boutique epidemics have done in the past. The biggest difference with this epidemic, and this is one where I think, <clears throat> you know, in the next couple of months, uh, it's, it's going to prove out to where, Dr. O'Shea is right, where he says this is just a boutique epidemic. You throw money at it and it goes away. Or whether um, the worst case scenario is that they're going to utilize this epidemic to literally change the economy or economic base of our planet. And so that means that the governments are going to utilize it to cover up the environmental factors that are causing uh, their populations to be chronic and critically ill, like in America, or they're going to use this to reorganize the wealth because they say that China bought up a number of American companies for pennies on the dollar. And I think it was over a trillion dollars that they spent because if you limit a manufacturing's ability to manufacture by not giving in the products, their stock is going to fall. And companies that are poised for this can buy up all the stocks. So there's a huge wealth transfer going on in just the last few weeks. Whether this will continue on into the worldwide economic uh, disaster that, that the rest of the planet is experiencing, but America has avoided, that's yet to be known. But right now, we do know that the virus is fragile. It's just a virus. The testing is inaccurate. Um, it's no more infectious than the common flu and no more deadly than the common flu. But the entire overblown makeup from the media uh, means that there is some underlying aspect. And why it hasn't been proven or, or listed as a pandemic, bam, that's because of the financial, uh, the pandemic bonds. So keep aware, you will be okay. Do not worry about this. Um, protect yourself, protect your family. And we will go over the next episode on how to, how to prepare for any natural disaster, which would include the collapse of our government. God bless you. I love you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.